back to the Freewheeling Podcast. My name is Abby Mickey. And for our final interview of the season, Gracie sat down with Amanda Spratt, Spratty, one of the podcast's favorite riders. Spratty's had a rough couple of years with iliac artery endofibrosis, but she is on the up and headed to Trek Segafredo next year for the first time she's on a new team in forever. Gracie has been teammates with her and good friends, and they sat down to chat about the season, the injury, and hopefully what's going to happen next. Before we dive into that conversation with Spratty and Gracie, this episode is brought to you by Zwift. There are tons of groups that use Zwift as a meeting place for people all over the globe. And all of those groups have group rides on Zwift all the time. So if you hop on Zwift and you go to their main page, you have to go through in order to get into the game. You can see that there are group rides rides going on at all times of the day. Tons of those group rides you can just jump into, make some new friends, and it's pretty amazing. There are also group rides for the Cycling Tips listeners. So make sure that you check that out. And... You can jump in group rides that have fixed speeds so you don't have to push yourself too hard. You can also challenge yourself by jumping into harder group rides and that some of them have sprints throughout them. So you can do town line sprints. Some of them have like a climb where you're racing each other. They're super fun and they make riding on Zwift even more fun. So check those out. Thank you so much to Zwift for sponsoring this episode. And let's chat with Spratty. Hey everyone, Gracie Elvin here and welcome to the Freewheeling Podcast off-season interviews. When we record our in-season podcasts, I definitely have a big bias towards our Aussie riders and I can't help but talk about them and their performances, especially the up-and-coming talent. But today I'm definitely not talking about an up-and-coming talent. This woman needs no introduction, no matter where you are listening to this podcast from. Amanda Spratt is one of Australia's best riders and has been for a very long time, as well as one of the world's best. Today we get to talk about her longevity, the highs and the lows, and about a new chapter that is just starting for her. So hello, Spratty. Welcome. Thanks for joining me today. How are you? I think you're at home at the Blue Mountains at the moment. Thanks, Gracie. Yeah, awesome to be here. I've become quite a bit of a follower, or listener, I should say, of the podcast this year, so pretty special to be on. Um, Yeah, I'm back home in the Blue Mountains, which feels nice, actually. It's sort of the first time since 2019, I think, where I've had a a nice off-season or a nice chunk of time back in Australia, so I'm good. I'm a little bit sunburnt, I think, which is a good sign that there's there's actually sun here and it's not raining, so now I'm really looking forward to a bit of time at home now. So you had a little bit of time back in Australia for the World Championships, but um, you had to then go back overseas to join your new team for next year, Trek Segafredo, on Team Camp. Like, what was that like? That that looked pretty fun on Instagram, but I don't know. What was it really <laughs> like being there? No, it was pretty special. So yeah, I like you said, I came back from um Worlds to, to Europe and had a few a few final races with uh Green Edge. And then we yeah, I guess the next chapter was sort of starting with Trek and went went to team camp. Uh we, we were there for about five days, um, also with the travel. So headed over. Um Felt a little bit odd in some ways because, as most people know, I've been with Green Edge for 11 years. So it's the first, it's actually the first time I've changed teams, which is a little bit funny, but um, it felt weird to be 35 and being that new kid on the block and asking all the dumb questions and, you know, not knowing all the little details. So that was, I had to laugh at myself a little bit about that. But 
it was incredible actually just to to meet everyone and in the organization but also to meet everyone in the companies that we work with so we spent two days at trek the, the headquarters there and just incredible to meet the the people behind the scenes and and just to realize you know um I guess they're a company that puts so much value on on the people and the people that work for them, and and just little things that I really loved were like they had a big board um, showing uh, people who'd been with the company for twenty years or more, and that that board was just huge. So, yeah, so many names there, which already said a lot about the company. Um, and just you know, they have their vision on boards all around all around the offices, which I think I took photos of almost everyone. There were just so many awesome like values and quotes and, and things that I really loved to see. And um, yeah, we just just meeting so many people, seeing the factory, seeing they you know really celebrate the results of the riders within that factory. You know, with the people who are helping to to build the bikes, and you know, I just really love that. You know, the, the people that you know that you know they're building the bikes and they get to you know then celebrate what riders in the team are doing in Europe. So, I think for me, it was just really cool to see the culture of the team and 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 you know how they work as a team, how they operate as a team, and. Obviously, I met a lot of new people <laughs> over two two days there, um, which is quite overwhelming and, and different for me. Um, but yeah, just incredible. And I just left. I left that um, those two days, and we also spent a day in Chicago with Stram, and and yeah, we had some partying. We played ice hockey, um, played soccer. Actually, we didn't actually play soccer. That was considered a bit too dangerous, but we were allowed to play ice hockey, which I found quite <laughs> amusing. But um, <laughs> I sort of let out the group of hubbards on the ice that didn't actually know how to ice skate. But um, <laughs> shout, out, shout out to Brody. <laughs> shout out to Brody, Eleanor, and Juan Per from the men's team. That was, um, yeah, we were all the little crew of people that didn't know how to ice skate that then committed to playing ice hockey, which, um, yeah, I, I think we're all glad we didn't break any bones. But yeah, just I could talk for hours about how awesome it was, but just yeah, exciting to just meet all these people and really understand the vision and the culture of the team. I that sounds yeah, what we see on Instagram seems like it really did happen. And I know, you know, we were teammates for eight years of that, eleven years. And coming from Green Edge, the the Green Edge family, lots of different names over the years. So I'm just going to stick to Green Edge for now. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, <good> <laughs> the team culture was it was really big for our team as well, um, but it was kind of played out in different ways. I think team culture for Green Edge was really around the riders and the staff, and that was kind of the 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 vibe, I guess, that was created and we all celebrated each other. But I felt like sometimes the sponsors weren't really part of that culture in a lot of ways. Like Scott wasn't like it was an awesome bike that we got to ride for a long time, but we never really got that much interaction with the brand and and some of the other brands too. We had the most interaction with all of Jerry Ryan's brands, which was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Like we got to go to the wineries and, (laughs) and all that stuff. So that's really interesting that you've kind of touched on that, you know, going to those brands that are, you know, the naming sponsors of the team that you're going to really it is the the core of that that new team culture going forward. And it's such a, it's a slight difference to what we were used to, but it kind of makes all the difference in a way and it's really kind of refreshes you maybe as well. Yeah, definitely. And like I said, yeah, we, um, yeah, really, I think you've yeah, hit the nail there. And I think it was even little things like we sat and had meetings with, you know, the engineering team and the people that made the handlebars and, you know, the shoes and, and everything and sort of where I had the chance to get, 
give feedback. And I know just speaking from a lot of the writers, they said, yeah, you give this feedback and, you know, in some scenarios you think you give feedback and nothing ever happens. But they said really like when the writers give feedback, then that feedback's really taken on board and they just really want to create a better product or something that can better suit the writers. So that was really cool also to, to meet them. And it was said many times over the few days, you know, everyone in these offices, you know, they keep up to date with what the writers are doing in the team. And, um, yeah, everyone definitely really involved with the team. Um, and it's just different. It's not to say that, you know, Green Edge was really bad or anything. It's just a different way of, of operating. And, um, yeah, it was, I think it's nice for me at this point in my career to, to have this change and, and to see a different way, different way a team works, work with different people. And so that's really something exciting for me. That's, yeah, something I want to dig into a little bit. And um, now that we're on the topic of teams and changing teams, like to be on a team for 11 years, and it is it exceptional in itself? I don't know how many riders can boast that in men's or women's cycling. So well done just for that fact. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, but like you were there from the, the day one pretty much that from Green Edge starting in 2012, you would have seen so much change in that 11 years and I, I'm, sh- I'm sure that you would have thought a few times within that time period of, you know, should I change? Um, what's good for me? But I, I found in women's cycling, it's maybe changing a little bit now, but because the money wasn't there for a long time, we had this currency of loyalty. And I think that can hold you back a little bit, actually, in that you might stay on somewhere for a bit too long when it's not so good for you anymore, but maybe you feel like you're in debt indebted to a team or a culture or a person or whatever it is. But now, you know, we've got slightly better money in women's cycling now that's slowly filtering across the whole board um, that, yeah. you know, that that loyalty, loyalty thing is still there. I can see, still see it happening a little bit of people, you know, getting in trouble for changing teams or, you know, people getting annoyed about it. But I think it's also such an important step as a rider to have a refresh to change just not just for the sake of change, but because it's the right thing for you. So can you talk to us a little bit about some of your thoughts over the years and why you finally made that decision this year? Yeah, it's that's yeah, a good one. Um, I am a crazy, crazy loyal person. So I think for sure I felt such a loyalty to Green Edge over so many years. Um, and yeah, I mean, I was here from the very start of it. I saw what Shane and Jerry wanted to create, and especially in those first years, and, and you were there too, really helping to create that culture and create the team. So it really felt like it was it was part of me, and I'd sort of grown up within the team. And I think for sure in the in the early years, it was always just sort of learning from some of the really experienced writers we had, like we had Judith Arndt, um, Luce Gunnevik, um, Emma Johansson, Anna Meek came on. You know, we had so many good writers there where I just thought this is such a great learning opportunity. And for me, I think, yeah, I always looked also at, I want to be in a team where I'm still developing and where I'm improving every year and where I'm motivated and where I'm happy. And for so many years, I always felt that with Green Edge that every year I thought, yeah, I still can see myself progressing and I love this team and I'm not looking elsewhere and there's no reason to change um and for sure like in for example 2018 I had a really good year there 2019 for sure I've had options I had options before to to leave the team but always it came back to number one my loyalty for sure I think that that was a big factor in staying um but also I still felt like I was improving and racing alongside Anamique for those years was was really fun and and I, I could see myself really learning a lot and and continuing to step up and I had some of my best years there so I would never really felt that need or that want to really 
to really change. But at the same time, I could also see that women's cycling was growing a lot, you know, every year and really amazing teams were popping up. Um, you know, like Trek started in 2019 and straight away they just stood out as one of, you know, this amazing team, a great vision, really professional, really wanting to step up the level. And every year I've just seen more and more women's teams kind of, you know, raising that level. Um, and so, yeah, like, I guess the last couple of years for me have been pretty hard to put it bluntly. I mean, kind of, yeah, being injured with the iliac artery endofibrosis and then also coming back from that, it's been two sort of quite rough years. And and alongside that, like Green Edges as an organization has also changed a bit in the last couple of years. I mean, we have a new management um, uh, kind of, I think the women's team, especially the vision has kind of changed a bit to what, to what it was. And I mean, I don't see that in a negative way at all. I think uh, an organization that's been around for 11 years, it's normal that it's going to change over time. And and, you know, this is just a fact of life. So, you know, that change also sort of changed a bit the way I felt. Um, and so I was just thinking, <clears throat> do I want to continue my career and never try something different as well? Um, I think I also felt like I owed that to myself to to challenge myself. And I think the easy option would have been to stay and just to, to plot along and, and continue to improve a bit. But this amazing opportunity came up with Trek and it's just something that I couldn't say no to and um you know I was, I was speaking to some of the writers from Trek before I signed and I already felt really welcome and and just hearing about their vision you know they have a, such a strong vision they they really want to be the number one team in the world and that's really ambitious and they don't shy away from saying that and that's their vision and these are the ways we're going to do it um and that's something that just really appealed to me and something that I really really like really liked about the team um you know, Ina Teutenberg there as the as the head DS. She's someone you also had the pleasure of racing alongside her. So you know what she used to be like as a racer, just an absolute legend of the sport and someone I had so much respect for. So I mean, we've been in contact for quite a number of years and, and stayed in touch. So, you know, she's someone that I'm really, really looking forward to working with. I'm sure sometimes I'll be a bit scared of her, <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> but um, I just have so much respect for her. And I think um just looking at Trek, I think. Yeah, they are one of the best teams in the world. Um, but I think they don't, even though they have so many top riders, you don't see the, that they, there's not the big egos that are getting in the way of them working as a team that you might see in some other, some other teams. Um, and I think that really comes down to the great leadership that they have. And, you know, that has to start with Luca, with Ina. And so I think that says a lot about the team. So yeah, I think they all played a factor in, in my decision to move, but. I just for me, it was just the right time and a fantastic opportunity, and to join one of the best teams in the world. Um, even if it took me eleven years to make that decision, uh, just felt like it was the right moment. And I kind of find it a bit funny because Fortra Mackay, she's another rider. She, I think she was she's been in Sunweb for ten years, I think it is. And I feel like her and I, like it, just seems funny that both of us are making the move in in the same year. I think maybe she was <laughs> also in the category. She's a bit young obviously but you know someone that hadn't changed for for a lot of years but it seems like this is the year where we're both kind of branching out and trying something new yeah that's funny that's a good stat I forgot about her she's she, she's still quite young and she's been around for forever and, and yeah too. and the, that team is particularly good at snatching up that young talent and keeping them for a long time exactly so I thought that was kind of funny when I saw the fortune was leaving I'm like oh that's cool we're both spreading our wings in the same year yeah I think you explained that really well. Like I know you very well compared to most of the listeners here, but I think that was a really good insight into like, 
you know, like it, it takes a lot of thinking and a lot of weighing up what is the right thing to do, but it's really tough yeah. to follow your heart, but um, you've got some really good reasons there. And I know that you would have taken a long time to think yeah. about all of that too, but I think that and I think, yeah, it's going to be a good change. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely played on my mind also, like am I letting people down by leaving mm-hmm. and what will Jerry say? And, you know, he's supported me since the start. Um, mm-hmm. But then I had some really good people in my corner just say, you know, like it's you don't owe anything to the team. You've given so much to this team over so many years. And, yeah, that's also true and something that I don't think about. I have given a lot to the team and it's been my heart and soul and I've wanted only wanted the best for it and I will only want the best for it moving forwards and I'm still going to be probably one of the biggest cheerers for the team. Um, but for me it was just, yeah, personal decision, a new challenge and, yeah, just just time for change. Well, I don't know if you've heard from Jerry, but I can only assume that he's really happy for you and he would totally understand. So I don't. Yeah, no, yeah. I have. And I mean, I'm, I'm I kind of, I made the decision and I spoke to my coach in the evening and the next day I contacted Brent and, and Jerry. And then I also personally phoned or was in contact with every one of my teammates in the next 24 hours as well, because I just didn't want anyone to hear it secondhand and and third hands and I really wanted everyone to hear it just for me personally so that was something that was really important to me um and yeah it's, I've only had kind of positive feedback and negative only in the sense that people say they'll miss me so that's nice <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, I'm sure it would have been but, quite emotional <laughs> yeah I mean I felt like I'd done a grand tour after that those two <laughs> days because you know me I'm not the biggest I don't love phone calls and I'm not always the biggest talker. <laughs> when I had to call about 15 to 20 people in two days, it's just like, oh, God, Brutal. need a recovery day. <laughs> <laughs> well, good job. Um, you mentioned that it has been a pretty tough couple of years, and I, I want to dig into that as well a little bit. But first, I want to, like, set the scene a little bit so we can, you know, compare a little bit. Like, you had a quite a serious injury right at the start of your pro career, Um that it almost ended your career, but you pushed super hard and it took a long time to get out of that hole. Um, you, you can share as much or a little as like, as that as you like, but I want to like talk a little bit about how that affected you mentally, how that set up the rest of your career and your mental toolkit. And then, you know, how you then handled the last couple of years and, and what that difference was. Yeah. Um, feels like almost a lifetime ago now, but yeah. So Basically, in 2008, I had a really major surgery on my piriformis syndrome, um, my piriformis muscle, sorry. But going back from that, basically, as soon as I got into the senior category uh, in 2006, 2007, I was just suffering, yeah, all the time almost with chronic pain, with chronic sciatic sciatic nerve pain. Um, Had many tests done, uh, you name it. I had everything and we kind of couldn't come up with a diagnosis and it kind of all Came to the fore in 2008 at Tour de Lode, which is showing my age because I'm sure many people won't even know what that French tour is. But um, <laughs> I just basically couldn't couldn't pedal anymore. I just had so much pain. Uh, like my right foot grew a size, for example, because I just continued to ride through this pain and my right foot just decided to grow as a kind of a response mechanism to the pain that I was suffering. Um, and that was kind of the crunch point. Uh, I was fortunate at the time that I was in the RAS Australian Institute of Sport. Um, and so I managed to get back to Canberra and worked with a really amazing team of specialists, Craig Purd and Greg Lovell. Um, and they really set about trying to figure out what the problem was and eventually diagnosed with piriformis syndrome. And for many people, that means that the sciatic nerve is going through the muscle. So it's like an anatomical um, 
um, fault, for want of a better word. Um, and so, yeah, the sciatic nerve is not moving properly. But for me, it was actually the result of just riding through pain and riding through pain that the sciatic nerve had actually stuck to the piriformis muscle with scar tissue. Um, so, yeah, we tried everything we could not to have surgery. But in the end, yeah, they decided that surgery was going to probably be the best option for me. Um, so I had the surgery and the surgeon himself said he didn't actually know how I could keep riding because when he opened me up and tried to move my muscle, um, move my leg, he said the sciatic nerve was actually not moving at all. So you can't imagine how much pain I'd been riding through. Um, yeah, I mean, that was July, August, 2008, but, and then, uh, it wasn't a case of just, you know, six weeks and I was better again. Um, I had the surgery and then it took maybe a good part of one I lived at the AIS in Canberra for a year and then it took another two, three years before I could sort of ride without pain again because I had so much, uh, because I had ridden for so long with the pain, even when I was fixed physically, I still had, every time I got on a bike, my brain thought there's going to be pain. Um, and so every time I tried to ride and start riding again, I just had just had pain. Um, and so I ended up working a lot with Laura Mosley as pain, pain specialist to kind of Peter Blanche as well to sort of retrain my brain and try to get better. Yeah, with this with the signals in my brain and learning that when I ride a bike, it doesn't have to be painful. So a lot of you know pain training through that. But behind the scenes of all of that, um, yeah, I mean, I was living in Canberra for sort of eighteen months in. <laughs> You don't want to move back to Canberra after all that. <laughs> <Not> that. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's like definitely warped my perception of Canberra. <laughs> sorry <laughs> for all Canberrans listening. But, yeah, I was living in the old resis. Um, you know, I was in, in cycling. You know, cyclists aren't at the AS all the time. You know, they're not, you know, there are some sports that are there all the time, like netball or, or soccer. It's probably a little bit different these days. But, you know, I was there for 18 months essentially by myself in, in a little dorm room and just trying to rehab and get better. And, you know, it, it became a really hard time. And I also became really, really depressed in that time. Not really before the surgery. Um, before the surgery, I always sort of had a, a mission or a, or a goal or I knew what was going to happen. And then also immediately after the surgery, it was like, okay, um, you know, these are the steps. This is how I'm going to get better. You know, I always want a goal every week and I could see progress um, because it was a fairly major surgery that, you know, they cut through the whole of glute max and glute med and then, you know, that all had to to build back. I was in the gym six days a week trying to build just even just the muscle back and even to this day it feels different. But um, sort of once it got to the point where I could sort of, you know, technically start riding and I, and I still had so much pain. And I think that was, they were the hardest months for me sort of beginning of 2009. And I became really, really depressed um, in my, in my um, dorm room at Resi's and uh, to the point, yeah, I mean, I was buying bottles of alcohol and, and sitting in my dorm room, even though alcohol, the Resi's was banned and, <laughs> and yeah, drinking alcohol and um, yeah, I became quite suicidal and yeah, it was, yeah, I was not at all in a good place. Um, fortunately, again, yeah, I was able to open up to the the psychologist that I was seeing there and mum came down and my sister came down and I had really good support around me to sort of get through that patch. But It would have been really yeah, think, hard to still be so vulnerable even to the people that you could trust. Yeah, and it was. And, you know, it, again, you feel like, you know, I was just in Canberra but I was still really far away from my family and they – didn't always know what was happening to me and mum always jokes that I'm always like a on a needs to know basis when I tell things <laughs> sometimes <laughs> a bit like my brother that you know we're not always good at opening up so 
yeah, it was definitely a hard moment to sort of open up and tell them what was happening and with the support of the, support of the Sykes there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I went home for a period of time and then I went back to the AIS and, um, but yeah, at the same, same time, I think it was important to be vulnerable and to open up and explain what was happening and, and also to accept it. Um, and to learn from it, I think, yeah, it was a really shit time, but I also learned a lot from it um, and got through it, um, which was the main thing. And then I'm back racing my bike and going well. So, yeah, that that was the main thing. I think just what I learned from it and then I could get through it. Um, and for me as well, it just, it just showed how important it is to have a good support network around you and people that you can be open with as well. Definitely. That would have been such a difficult time to get through and thanks for sharing some of that like I'm sure it's still not that easy to talk about even though it was so long ago now and no I find yeah even when I start talking about it, I start feeling like a bit emotional even though it is yeah. yeah it's almost 15 years ago but when I do start talking about it then you start remembering some of the things and yeah I haven't said everything on this podcast but yeah there's so many things that did happen in that time but mm-hmm. um yeah just grateful for the support that I had and that I could get through it and and get back to doing what I love. Yeah, and and cycling's a cruel sport, so you definitely need to have some, not only a little bit of built-in resilience, but I think that you raise a really great point and something that I'm always championing is like support network is the key. Like it's the thing that helps yeah. you be who you are. It helps you be successful, but more, more importantly, it's the people around you that are there no matter what, no matter what team you're in, no matter what shit goes down. It's like that's that's such a big part of sport that all those unsung heroes, usually family members. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think also in our sport it's like we spend so much of the time overseas as well. So it's like, yeah, it's like keeping in touch and, and yeah, like I said, yeah, just being honest with people, um, and also I think with a support network, sometimes as a young athlete, I remember some of the advice I had as a young athlete was that I think it was when I joined N-Swiss and we had Ian Thorpe actually come and chat to us and he said, you know, like you're in N-Swiss now, that's great, but don't expect everyone to come to you and say I'll be your supporter or your, you know, I mm. want to support you in physio or this. It's also up to you, I think, as an athlete to find, you know, your people and the people that you trust and the people that you want in your network as well. And I think that was a really good bit of advice that I had early on in my career is how important it is to have that support network of group of people, but you also have to take ownership of that yourself and and be willing to sort of you know find the people that you want to work with as well and that want yeah equally want to work with you. Mm, that's really good advice. So I, I think there's a lot of people here that are going to take that to heart, and that, that's really helpful. So thanks for saying that. <laughs> This episode is also brought to you by Shimano's RX6 gravel shoes. Shimano's RX6 shoes are versatile gravel kicks with a comfortable fit. They're offered in unisex wide and women's, so riders of all shapes and sizes can focus on the fun that is gravel riding. Featuring widely spaced lugs for stability off the bike and breathable materials, Shimano's RX6 shoes are ready for mud, dust, and any mixed terrain that a gravel ride has to offer. Thank you so much to Shimano for sponsoring this episode. Now let's get back to Spratty. So do you think that, you know, that really tough period at the start of the year helped set you up to then deal with some of the challenges that you'd face along the way, especially this, you know, big one that just happened 
over just over a year ago now that um, iliac artery endofibrosis that would have been pretty hard to, to get through you know like because it, it would have affected you for quite a while before it was treated and then the, the recovery yeah. is quite serious and long yeah yeah I think definitely I think yeah I, I learned so much from that period 08 09 um you know just how hard it was the rehab coming back from that not being able to participate in sport for like over a year not being able to ride my bike so I think all of that I definitely learned so much from that experience um it doesn't mean that the last couple of years weren't really hard and <laughs> there were a lot of tears and you know not knowing and again like this was another like the piriformis syndrome which is sort of a mystery injury and so hard to diagnose the iliac artery endofibrosis was also a bit like that as well well a lot like that in terms of it is really hard to to diagnose or to say that that's definitely what it's going to be and and for me there were so many things that were a bit different in those couple of years like we had COVID and I was quite um, anxious about COVID and suffered a bit of anxiety around that and found that quite stressful um, with the lockdowns and everything and then you know I had a bit of a cold or sickness around the Ardennes and then you know there was always sort of a reason in there why it might not be iliac artery endofibrosis um, but still in the back of your mind you still feel like something's not quite right um, I think yeah the main difference maybe this time around compared to last time is that I really sort of asked questions and felt that something wasn't right much sooner like I didn't let it drag on for two or three years before I really sought answers um, but I think yeah the shittest thing well the thing that I'm most sad about is that just that it all came out out in the Olympic year and in a race that I'd really wanted to go well in. Um, and, you know, in that race, especially as the race where we said, okay, something is really not right because we just got to the climbing section, section and as soon as it started getting hard, I was dropped with, you know, one of the first people dropped. Um, mm. And I found that really, really hard to deal with. And I remember chatting to my coach and saying, you know, why, why did it have to be this race where, you know, this happened? And he said, yeah, but... If that had happened in like a small race in Belgium, we would have said, don't worry, it's just a small race in Belgium. <laughs> like yeah. it's, you know, like we weren't we weren't targeting that or if it was a training session, same thing. So it's almost like it had to happen at that event for us or maybe for me as well to admit like something's really not right. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, as you know, as you would know, like the Olympics is such a big event, such a big build up, you know, you put so much time and energy into it. And normally after it, there's always that, sort of let down anyway or that you know, like, yeah. you know, period of like not I don't want to call it depression but where you're just like oh you know four That's years a, to build up and now yeah. it's over what goes up and must now, come down even the happy yeah, ones go down <laughs> exactly so I already had a bit of that and then you know it had gone so terribly for me mm-hmm. um and I still didn't really know what it was although you know I started the conversation with the Oz cycling doctors and he mentioned um this and my team doctors were already getting on board with sort of trying to find a, a diagnosis um thinking it could be this so stuff was already in action but it was just still so many emotions after that like um I don't not embarrassed but just like you know this was my big goal and everyone knew that and you know I was you know I didn't finish I was dropped as soon as it happened and you do sometimes as an athlete worry also what people think oh you know the pressure they you know the pressure's got to them they can't perform Mm. you know you know they've been building this up for so many years they got the preparation wrong you know there's so many things go through your mind um and I knew it wasn't any of that. Like I know that I can perform under the pressure and had done in the worlds a lot, but, you know, the two years before that. So, yeah, yeah, it's just like trying to put all that behind you and know that something really is wrong. Um, and then, 
yeah, so then got the diagnosis in August and then the operation in October. And then, yeah, I mean, it hasn't really been easy coming back from it easy either. I think if anything, it's taken longer than what, what I'd anticipated. Sort of the surgeon says three to six months. And as an athlete, you always think you can beat the timeline. <laughs> so I definitely, I definitely thought it'd be back sooner. But, um, you know, I spoke to Anamik and also Sarah Roy who had had it and they said no for them. It was more like eight months where they started to feel like normal. And actually that's pretty much spot on when, when it happened for me as well, just before the Giro. Um, but even, you know, throughout the whole season, I feel still, still feel like I didn't get back that same sort of strength and form that <clears throat> I'd had previously. So that's why I'm really excited this year that I have a normal off season and stress free and I'm not rushing and, yeah, that's what makes me really excited about this period of time right now as well. Yeah, well, I can't wait to hear what you're excited about. But first, you kind of touched on it a bit of like there's so much pressure and a lot of it, you know, pretty much all of it, it comes from yourself, but it's because <laughs> of like some perceived external pressure as well. So you were at the top of the sport at, in moments, you know, you've, you've gained two medals at World Championships, which is awesome and exceptional. And then so, so many good results in one day races, in tours, and then suddenly it just comes crashing down. Firstly, how do you deal with the pressure when you are at the top and you feel like you need to stay there? Yeah, no, I think, yeah, pressure is always what you make of it, I think. And I think, yeah, you're spot on when you say so much of the pressure comes from yourself. And I know that's definitely the case with me. Like, you know, I see see a big race or one that I want to go well in. And yeah, I put a lot of pressure on myself and and I want to do well for for myself, but also I feel, yeah, pressure from, you know, I perceive maybe more so is the right expression, you know, pressure from the team, from, you know, those that support me, um, even though they're not putting pressure on me. But I think it's more just that internal drive and, you know, you want to succeed and you want to fulfill your goal. And so there's definitely that pressure, but it's not always a negative thing. I think it's how how you're able to use that pressure. So I know in my really good years where, you know, I medaled at the Worlds both years, um, had really good results at the Giro, you know, I had a lot of pressure. I went in, especially to Innsbruck and also Yorkshire, for example, that both Worlds, I went in there as, as the sole leader and I knew it. But I also, for me, it's like you have that pressure for a reason and that's because... Yeah, you you want to go really well, but also you're in that position because people believe that you can go well on that course and you have that opportunity. So for me, it's more about turning it around and saying, okay, this is an opportunity. These people, they really believe in me. Everyone's, you know, putting an amazing effort and so much time into making sure I can be at my best here. And yeah, for me, I want to do well and for them, I want to do well, but not in a negative way. So I think, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's just about framing it in your mind and how you can and best best use that. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. And it's sometimes a question I get from young riders of like, how do I handle the pressure? And yeah, I, I like the way you've said it. For me, I used to think of it as like pressure is a privilege. And it's the same, like pretty much the same yeah. as what you're saying. Like I have the opportunity to be here. Not everyone gets to be a cyclist. Not everyone gets yeah. to be on Green Edge and not everyone gets to then be the leader. Like that's really cool. So it's, it is pressure, but it's like it's how you you perceive it and, and see it for for the positive spin on it too. Um, yeah, but exactly. it's it's still very uncomfortable, and it's like that daily practice <laughs> that you're like, it's yeah. good, it's good, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's still it's not that we always love it. It's not. No. Yeah, oh, this is amazing. I'm so privileged, and like I love the pressure. It's amazing. You know, it's not that we don't have those days where like the pressure feels all a bit too much, or you're doubting, and for sure, like I have 
so many days or we as athletes have so many days where we doubt ourselves or you think, oh, I don't know if I can do it or my legs aren't feeling good or I'm not sure. And sometimes all it takes is maybe your coach or a director or someone just or a teammate or, or, or someone saying, hey, like, you know, I've seen what you can do here or we really believe in you. And sometimes as silly as that might sound, just, you know, one sentence, that can really make a big difference as an athlete as well just to hear mm. those words. Yeah, positive affirmation is much more helpful yeah. than the, <laughs> the eggs against the wall approach as we've seen. Um, exactly. And and how do you feel the pressure now that you're coming back? Things are looking a bit more positive. You've still had to overcome a few things, but you're you're back on track more or less, but you're going into this team full of big names. Like how, how are you feeling about that kind of pressure next year? Yeah, honestly, my biggest emotion is just excitement. Like I don't really feel a, pr- a pressure as such I just feel like really excited to be joining you know this this yeah essentially one of the best teams in the world um and I don't really think I feel pressure um I think I am framing it already in that way of like it's just this amazing opportunity to join this team and I'm 35 and um yeah my mom likes to joke how I'm a veteran now because I always used to laugh at all the veterans when I was young but I'm a veteran now (laughs) but I still feel like I have stuff to learn um but it's also been nice in the team that they are putting a lot of trust in me um for example yeah I really want to go well in in January and I have the support to do that um and with that comes pressure for sure but I also know that I really love the racing in Australia and I've performed here there well before and we're going to have an amazing team coming out to Australia with some of our Aussie riders as well so for me I think it's definitely more excitement and for sure there's pressure like like it was really cool in the October camp just to hear the vision of the team and yep the vision I think I've mentioned before is to be the number one team in the world and with that for sure comes pressure and you know the team wants wins but I sort of walked out of that meeting thinking oh man that's cool like I I'm I'm buzzing and that really motivates me so I think I'm feeling motivated by the pressure that will that will be there. For sure it will be there. But I think just the way the team races together and, you know, I've been able to observe that for quite a number of years now. And I think I mentioned before that I just see them as a team that can work so well together, even though they have so many top riders. So I'm just really excited to be to be involved in that and be a part of that um, and embrace embrace the pressure and opportunity, I like to call it. Yeah. Well. I definitely know that you can handle the pressure, but I think that you've definitely put it into some good words. And I think a lot of people can take a lot away from what you've said. Um, apart from, you know, excited about just being part of that new environment and all the challenges. Is there anything specifically that you're looking forward to next year? Any like races or even people that you get to work with? Yeah, I think I mentioned, yeah, I'm really looking forward to working with Ina. I think, yeah, she's just such a amazing brain as well and tactically so I'm really looking forward to I think I can learn a lot from her and maybe she can also get more out of me in the races as well and and just building that confidence as well I think for me sometimes the confidence is some has been the thing that's been lacking and believing in myself so I think that's something that I can improve on um I'm really looking forward to working with Elisa Longo Borghini um I just yeah I just think she's amazing and (laughs) and such a, a fun way of racing as well I think we'll yeah complement each other well in the way we race and we like a good aggressive races um so I'm really looking forward to that and also Lizzie Dyken coming back I think for me Lizzie's always been such a a good role model not for not just for me but for for most professional female cyclists I think you know it's amazing um 
coming back from her her second child and I just think yeah she's gonna get to the top again I have no doubt and I'm really just looking forward to racing with her and I've already heard that you know she's such a good person in the team also off the bike as well to sort of bring the team together so excited for that um Excited to like motor pace behind Ellen Van Dyke in the, in the races, <laughs> <laughs> and not be the one that she's trying to drop. But <laughs> yeah, no, I won't. I won't lie about that. That'll be quite a bonus to have her as a teammate. Yep. Um, I'll get nice and arrow. I think she was my her. number one. I always wanted to try and be on a team with her. Never quite figured that out, but that's cool that yeah. you get to. You'll get a good sit yeah. from her too. <laughs> no, no. So I'm looking forward to that. And yeah, that that feels cool because especially people like Lizzie and Ellen, like we've been racing against each other since basically since we were juniors. I think mm. Ellen and I are the same age. Lizzie's a year younger, I think, than us. So, you know, yeah, there's a lot of experience there and, and a lot of riders. Um, yeah, that I've sort of raced alongside for a lot of years, but never with. So that that's exciting. Um, and then yeah, I mean, Brody and Loretta, the other two Aussies on the team. Um, yeah, I couldn't almost couldn't think of two better Aussies to have. So mm, I think they're a, lot have of a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, a lot of fun with both of those. So actually, I listened to the podcast with Brody that um, Abby did, and it reminded me number one how much Brody can talk, and number two how fun she is. So I'm really looking forward. <laughs> really looking You've forward done pretty well. You've talked a lot this t- this podcast it's been <laughs> great go. good job I'm a new, I'm a new person <laughs> <laughs> well yeah I I feel like we could just keep talking all day we've got so much to talk about but I think we covered some really good things in this so I just want to say thank you for joining us and thanks for being vulnerable and thanks for some of the good advice that I know a lot of young people will no matter what age you are probably can get a lot out of and I can't wait to be in the commentary box for for the races coming up to see you so good luck for the the Aussie summer but also good luck for the the whole year and uh yeah I think that you've got some good things coming again yeah thanks Gracie just excited for what's to come well we'll we'll be watching And judging from the commentary box. No, no, <laughs> no, no <jokes>. pressure. <laughs> I mean, op- I mean, opportunity. <laughs> no, that'll be good. Thanks, Freddie. Okay.